You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 268, Frankenweenie. It's totally Tim. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, animation addicts. I'm Morgan Stradling. And I'm Chelsea Robson. Chelsea, I have a question for you. Okay. What is your favorite Halloween monster? Hmm. How about the blob? The blob. Wow, that's... I've always thought that was the weirdest movie. Like, that would, like, sci-fi flick or whatever. It's like, (laughs) the blob. (laughs) I've never actually seen the movie, but even just, like... Anytime it's mentioned or referenced, it's just like, why? (laughs) A bit unconventional. You know, there's, you could go with Frankenstein, you could go with Bride of Frankenstein. Well, technically, Eh. if we're being technical, it's Frankenstein's monster, right? Correct. The true people who know. Um, You know, Dracula, it's all sorts of things that you could pick as the mummy, the mummy, ghosts, all those things, witches. This one yeah. has a few of those, not all. <laughs> no witches. We, we don't get there. They definitely tried to bring in a lot of these moments. Mm-hmm. So today's movie, we are going, I want to say back in time, because this feels, it's been quite a long time since this movie came it out, like surprisingly, although it just feels yeah. like yesterday. And we are going to be talking about Tim Burton's 2012 film, Frankenweenie. Now, have you ever seen the 1984 version? It's only like 26 minutes long. Yeah. So this is based on a short film that Tim Burton had done, 1984. And it's very short. It was meant to play in front of, you know, another film. And I have seen it a long time ago. I was going to rewatch it for this, but didn't have the time. Although who doesn't have 26 minutes? That's just an excuse, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I I felt like... That dog just looks so cute. Yes. And I would say it's almost easier for me to like that dog because I know he's still alive when in this movie. I don't know. It just felt weird because it's like you really want him to be dead. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny (laughs) because in the Frankenweenie, it's a live action film. And this one is typical Tim Burton style. We have his aesthetic, those big eyes, super creepy. It's just totally Tim Burton all the way. Right. But in Frankenweenie, the the short film, it's it's humans. I mean, there's really not as much artistic nuance there. And so, yeah, he's a cute dog. He is super cute. I like him. I mean, we went from from one dog that was only cute in context to this dog, which I mean, he was he's a super cute dog. I'm like, oh. And going into like the stop motion version, he's actually really cute too. 
So before we start about the main discussion, let's set the stage for this. The production company was Walt Disney Pictures and Tim Burton Productions. It was distributed by Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures. So this isn't technically, well, it is not. It is It is not. There's no technically at all. This is not part of the Walt Disney Animation Studios canon. And I think that's something important because you think of Nightmare Before Christmas and at least at the Disney parks, it's just become Disney, right? Well, obviously right. with all of the various acquisitions over the years, there's just, you are part of the family. Right, right. Um, consider yourself at home. <laughs> that's basically what... <laughs> what Disney does to all of the properties that it, that it purchases. If you make us money, you're home. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it init- interestingly enough, a lot of Tim Burton's movies are not, you know, they're always like, Oh, we'll distribute you, but you're not part of the family yet. It, which is interesting yeah. because I'll, I'll get to the other parts of this director, Tim Burton release date, October 5th, 2012, which I think is very smart movies like this. I feel just have to be released in October, not even September. If you have any sort of spooky Halloween characters or monsters in your films, I think you're just doing yourself a disservice not to release in October. I think some uh, like there's been some films recently that just are released in the summer, like some of the Hotel Transylvania films or and yeah, they've been like doing it in August and September. Yeah, and I'm like, you're, you're, you're so close, but I'm not in the spooky mood quite yet. And yeah. I think if you really want to capitalize on that, you need to release these in October because people are in the mood. They're drinking their PSLs. They have all their pumpkin decorations and everything is all out in force. Now, we know that there are people who do that in September and even August. OK, I am one who in mid to late September will get all my pumpkins out because I I don't do Halloween decoration. I do fall. So, you know, I can, I can stretch it okay. a little bit more, but whatever. By October, everyone is all in. You are ready to go. You're not going to get any of the naysayers who are like, Ugh, it's not even Halloween. It's not even October yet. Why are we already doing Halloween? You know, when it's yeah. August and you see all the Halloween decorations and everyone's complaining. So long story <laughs> short, bravo. Great job. And it did well because the budget was thirty nine million, which is very reasonable for a film like this. And I'm always surprised agree. every single time how low these stop motion budgets actually are despite all the work that goes into them and right. the box office did okay 81.5 million dollars i mean it, it, that's not something to scoff at you made back your budget doubled it so good mm-hmm. you could do this again we would like to see it go over 100 but fine we'll take it and i remember when this movie came out this was just as we were starting the podcast and the website And I remember doing articles about this film all the time because I was the only Mm -hmm. news writer and any, you know, specifically one that I remember was these character posters came out for each one of the characters. And I remember posting them on the website and then doing like an analysis of like, who is this person, their name? Who do we, what do we think they're going to be, you know, (laughs) really diving into it. And yeah, so this definitely has a special place in my heart simply because of how invested I was with the release relating to the mm-hmm. website. And then, you know, I, we did end up seeing this movie when it came out and I, we've done a few reviews. Surprisingly, we didn't review this one on the podcast, but when the Blu-ray came out, we did, we review, did review that. that. And so I feel like we've, we've technically done this one, but not on the podcast. So there you have it. Well, the Blu-ray review will be available in the show notes. So uh, yes. if you would like to see our faces talking about this. And to see if our opinions <laughs> have changed 10 years later. That's true. Yes. 
that's the thing is like I, I don't even remember what I gave this film in our last episode where we were talking about some of the different movies through the Disney canon mm-hmm. I started talking about like say Bolt and <laughs> I remember Bolt right now if you ask if, and as you can see in my analysis of it you know briefly in the last episode it's like eh I'm not a fan whatever uh so low <laughs> yeah but then I go back and as I'm putting together the show notes, I'm looking at, oh, maybe eight, seven, eight years ago, we did a whole series of of reviews of the Disney canon. And so we're kind of like bringing those back on the in the show notes. You can go back and read individuals of what their reviews were for these films. Mm-hmm. And I was the one that got to <laughs> review both. Really? I was. Nice. And so I go back and I, I read it and I'm like. You know, I actually liked it (laughs) (laughs) and I haven't seen it since then. So why has my opinion of it shifted back to the negative? I don't know, but I have not gone back to look at what I thought about Frank and Weenie at the time. And so it will be interesting for me to go back and see how it differs, because I'm sure it does, because I just end up doing that, Mm -hmm, whether mm -hmm. (laughs) it takes time. But you know what? These things, sometimes they change. Yeah, you know, so this movie is, like I said, totally Tim Burton. If you look at concept art that he did for Nightmare Before Christmas or even other Disney animated films. So he worked for Disney for a while in the 80s. You know, there was this big group that had come out of college and he was one of them. And then he left basically right after this film was completed. So after Frank and Weenie, not this film, but Frankie Weenie, the short was completed According to Wikipedia, it says that he they thought that he was wasting company resources. They spent a million dollars on that film, that short film. And so they kind of parted ways and then he had a series of strings of successes. And so they ended up bringing him back for Nightmare for Christmas, where he was the producer in that. But obviously very, very instrumental. And I just well, think 84 it- was when Fra- that 30 minute short came out and the 84 era of Disney was very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's funny. Like that was like pre-Renaissance. And so you're just like, you're right on the cusp of company changes. So it is interesting to see how, I mean, the fact that he was able to finagle his way back in and be like, nope, I'm holding strong to this idea mm-hmm. is pretty impressive in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just really interesting that he came back you know, he had done other things for Disney at the time and, and comes back and says, hey, you know, that short film that I released, you know, not on good terms at the time, I want to redo it and <laughs> let's make it stop motion. Bum, bum, bum. So this was part of a two film deal that he did to direct with Disney, one being Alice in Wonderland. And then the second one was this Frank and Frank and Weenie that he was going to be doing. So this was part of his <laughs> that he had done. I mean, that's a, that's a good deal though. The Alice in Wonderland series was just so, I think iconically Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And so for him to be able to like, okay, if you want my style, if you want my stuff, you have to give me even more money to redo Frank and Weenie. <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Good for you, Tim. <laughs> In life, you do not get what you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Mm -hmm. Good job, Mm -hmm. man. Yeah. So something that stands this movie apart 
it's black and white, which mm-hmm. when I was watching it with my kids, they said, why, why is there no color? You know, they didn't understand the concept of a black and white film. And so that's, that's something that makes it unique. The stop motion aspect makes it unique. Disney doesn't do too many of those. If they do, they tend to be Tim Burton. And then the Tim Burton aesthetic with the big eyes, the skinny legs, the gangly characters, just the overall creepiness to the design. I think of the, the one girl in the Frank, in this Frank and weenie, um, who has the cat. Mm-hmm. She is just so creepy. I uh-huh. just, but not scary. Just like a really creepy vibe, but she's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I, if I had kids and I took them to school and all of the students in my kids class had thick dark circles under their <laughs> eyes like this yeah i might reconsider my choice of schools right 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 <laughs> it's like i don't know what's happening here but okay <laughs> and you know this film is interesting because it's set in a setting that things are kind of ambiguous and they don't answer those questions you know is it the 1950s is this supposed to be in a different era um, why yeah. is it black and white? Why is the place called New Holland? All these questions that like if there's a New Holland, I mean, is it meant to represent, you know, like Holland, the country and this is a city called New Holland or like, what's that all about? You know, and they have the windmill, which obviously is very indicative of Holland. Um, mm-hmm. So it kind of sets the stage, you know, and the, the city themselves a lot. Maybe the city itself is kind of like anti-science. So they go against the science teacher in a way. So uh-huh. it's just really kind of interesting the way that they set this up and then you kind of go from there. We don't get answers to some of these questions and that's okay. Yeah, I, I wish I had more answers to questions, though. And I think that was one of my main gripes about this movie is that there wasn't a lot of cohesive narrative. I mean, yes, there it's a through line story. It's a simple story, but it was like. I don't have a lot of depth to the Yeah, it's interesting because Victor Frankenstein, obviously based off the Mary Sherry novel, Mary Shelley novel, Frankenstein with the main characters, Victor Frankenstein. This is inspired by that story where he brings right. this monster back to the dead. And even the character himself, our main character is named Victor Frankenstein. OK, cool. I got that. You know, and then the main characters that we're supposed to care about is Sparky the dog and Victor. Uh-huh. But in the short film... There's less side characters. There's less going on. We really are more focused on Victor and the dog. And you really get to know them and you know who they are and they have more motivations. And with this, despite broadening it out, they didn't do much to Victor. I feel Victor is very short sighted, not short sighted, but he just he's he's one dimensional. There is no arc. He does not learn any lesson out of this all he learns is that sometimes parents don't know what they're talking about so let's zap the dog again and bring him back once again <laughs> like it's just i didn't like that. it was a letdown to be honest i was expecting yeah. it to go one way and even in the the short it doesn't end this way it has the similar ending where the dog comes back at the end and if we're following a hero's journey or like these intrinsic motivations for characters you know the, what what the character wants and what they need and what what Victor wants is he wants his dog to come back to life. Right. And that's what the, that sets off the whole plot of the film. But right. what he needs is to be able to come to terms with the death of his dog and move on and realize that that's OK. 
And this is a part of life right. and to just have a healthy relationship with the concept of death, the living. Yeah. And, and what he had with his dog and we do, he doesn't get that at all. It's taken away from him at the end. Like I was, I had not yeah. seen this movie since it came out. I was utterly shocked when the dog came back. I'm like, no, no. You know, it's just like yeah. Fox and the Hound, a little different, but you know, Fox and the Hound where they, yeah. they were supposed to kill off chief. And they they didn't, you know, they ended up he just fell off a a really high bridge. Okay, you know, with this one, it's just like, oh, like what? It was just like a happy ending. And I'm like, I don't feel that this everything creepy and weird and whatnot is needed a happy ending. If any movie needed not to have a happy ending, this was it. Because then he has this God complex where he's playing God, you know, bringing people back from the dead and teaching others how to do it. And so his dog has had. A few traumatic deaths, one getting hit by a yes. car, second, basically burning to f- burning to death in the windmill. And we're going to do it again. I mean, this isn't a cat. It doesn't get nine lives. You know, it's <laughs> like, how much pain are you going to put Sparky through just because you're selfish and you want to see him again? That was my biggest problem with the movie. It was like, ah, you missed the whole point. <laughs> right. And he has this mantra, basically, that he goes around saying to after Sparky is alive again and like keeps falling apart. He's like, I can fix that. I can fix that, too. And I'm like, you know what, Victor? Sometimes you cannot fix things. <laughs> Sometimes like, you have to just learn to deal and some like or ask somebody else for help or, or deal like you, it's a hard concept to be like, no, sometimes I don't get what I want. <laughs> I did not like this movie. I came out of this feeling one that I didn't care. For example, there's a part where you have like the bad kids. First off, the bad kids were never really the main villain. The actual villain was the cat. (laughs) (laughs) I don't care about these villains. I don't care about what these kids are doing. And then when they come around saying we shall bring the dead to life. And it was at that moment in time, I realized I did not care. And I asked (laughs) myself, why? Why don't I care that these these hoodlum kids are go- are trying to do the same thing and going to the pet cemetery to bring back Colossus, the hamster. And I just it was almost like Tim Burton was just playing Legos. And he was like, and then this happens and then this happens. And there's no real structure or or build up to a thing. And I think that that's one of the main reasons why I get bored of it. And I start looking around, start thinking I need to multitask and I'm just like, ah, come on, Tim, you should be better than this. Yeah. You know, I did like the parallelism between the first scene where he's kind of like this filmmaker and he's creating his own, you know, Godzilla sort of films. There's a lot of, there's a lot of homages to classic horror, you know, monsters, you know, there's the bride of Frankenstein. There's a lot of Godzilla thing from the unknown or whatever it's called. And so he has this really cool montage of like the monster destroying the city. And then that ends up being what happens kind of foreshadows that Uh and all these monsters that they created, you know, Hey, it's just, we're just bringing them back to life. No big deal. You know, but then there's something wrong with all of them except for Sparky. Mm -hmm. And they turn into these monsters that just completely destroy this town and ruin things. And they don't come back to life. It's like they lost their chance because they turned into evil monsters. 
So I did like that part, like the the horror element of the monsters turning uh-huh. on the the creator, which is what happens in Frankenstein. Right. Um, it just doesn't end up working. Yeah. So I liked that. But then it all goes back to Sparky, where it's like, well, then why does any of this even matter? Yeah. I mean, there's all these weird things of, you know, basically saying this this town doesn't believe in scientists and they're against the science teacher. Yeah, they're against a science teacher who's just like a little, you know, a little over the top. OK, I, it's fine. I, I just feel like it was also weird because he came in and said, did you care about the other one? Did you love the other one? No, I didn't. I was just doing it for myself. And it's like you're leaning into this whole scientific thing. But then motive now has like a I thought the like same thing because it was like you have to have a cart. And I'm like, no, that's not what science is at all. Yeah. Science <laughs> is just black or white straight. This is what it is like. This is your hypothesis. And it either is going to be or not to be. And my own feelings on the matter will not change it because science is science, you know? Exactly. I'm glad you you thought thought that too, because I was like, this, what kind of scientist is this? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's really funny. He brings up, like, without saying it, he brings up Project Paperclip, which is basically after the Second World War and into the Cold War, they started bringing other scientists from these other countries that were from Germany and from soviet russia area where they were trying to like recruit them and bring them over to the united states in order to help build up our military and i thought that was kind of funny because nobody really understands that unless you know but yeah he does he's like your country doesn't make enough scientists that's why you always need more and i'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) but like there's just you have all these other extra characters that are kind of there for no real reason like the neighbor really she's only there because they want to give the bride of frankenstein's dog a hairdo change and like you have this really mean mirror like he's just acutely mean and really playing into a a narrative that like anybody within government is is acutely mean and evil and i'm just like like it's just funny and it's not funny, haha, but just like, I don't know what you're doing, <laughs> Tim. I don't know. Like, you were just kind of just trying to add stuff, but it didn't really work for me. Yeah. I did like the music. I felt like it did a good job of playing into the emotional aspects of what you were supposed to be feeling. Mm-hmm. And if you were to play it out and listen, it's like, yeah, this is very well done. The animation, I feel like it was, it's always fun to watch stop motion just because. It's just such a unique way of presenting a story that it almost always keeps my attention just for that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Those are things that I really liked about it. Yeah. The music was something that I noticed as well, done by Danny Elfman, who is, you know, Tim Burton's go to very synonymous with his stop motion animated films. It's done quite a bit and it, it did a good job. And animation wise, I have have nothing bad to say about the animation. I feel like character models were really unique and fun Mm -hmm. they were it was different now some might say this is just same old tim burton like this is getting old seeing you know tim burton style but i don't think so i feel like if you're an artist and you have a particular style it's in your best interest to keep keep with that i agree sure he's done other things that are maybe not maybe dumbo is not as burton-esque but even alice in wonderland was even though 
it was a live action it was still Burton-y in a lot of, you know, like yeah. the queen and some of the designs and Twiddledee and Twiddledum. He takes these, these proportions of things and really stretches them mm-hmm. and, and squashes them and makes them really weird and creepy is all I can say. Uh, yeah. The most, you know, non Tim Burton design was probably the original Frankenweenie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's it's great. I like Tim Burton doing Tim Burton. You know what I mean? It's not something yeah. where other people have really globbed onto that or kind of stole his design and it just becomes synonymous with like spooky and scary. It's something that's truly him. We don't see his films too often. So it's an every once in a while when I see it, I'm like, oh, OK, I know what I'm getting into with him. So I like right. that. It, it helps set the stage and, and the animation. I just am completely in awe with how they do the process, how, how it's just bonkers to me. Stop motion animated films, you know, moving a camera while also moving characters. And then you got to move the background characters. It's just like, wow, so much time and prep goes into this. It's really cool. It was it was great. I, it didn't distract and it never got old. Yeah. As far as the, the animation, I think that Tim Burton should always be Tim Burton. Like you said, if you're an artist and you find a thing that works, lean into it because it's better to be known for something than to be a copier of everything. Mm hmm. Because you're never you and you're able to just by you saying this is my thing. It also helps build that following. There's people who are diehard Tim Burton fans and they love everything about it. And for that, I say, bravo, you've created a super fan. That's really difficult to do. Mm -hmm. And I have nothing but praise in that regard for Tim. Yeah. So let's look over his filmography because he's done quite a body of work starting in 1984 with Frankenweenie. Surprisingly, it's just so interesting that this was his first movie that he had worked on and he really didn't get to see it properly released. I couldn't tell. Initially, it was supposed to be as part of the re-release of The Jungle Book in 1984 in the summer. And then it said it was pushed back to be in front of oh, where is it um pinocchio in december and i'm like again you're missing the window for this <laughs> was right. there not a halloween film you could put this from um it says it was rescheduled and this says although the film was subsequent subsequently shelved so making it appear as if this film actually had neither of those it was never released. And so, yeah, he'd be extra mad. It ultimately, because he was so successful in a variety of films that he had done, he it ultimately got its own home video release. So on a budget of one million dollars, the box office for, for the original short, I say box office, but I'm not even sure if that's box office or DVD sales. Eleven point yeah. four million dollars. So because I'm not really sure this was never released standalone. So it couldn't have been box office. It's something. It made yeah. some money. Don't you worry. But all right, let's go back to his filmography. So Frank and Weenie, then Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I've never seen that. That's that one's iconic. <laughs> Beetlejuice, which I also admit I have not seen. I've seen iconic. bits and pieces. I, sh- I need to see it. Yeah, you do. Those are those are some of the most iconic things. That <laughs> I mean, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. My brother really loved that show <laughs> and so there was a period of time that i just remember him always being like <laughs> like like <laughs> copying peewee's thing and i'm just like you're annoying <laughs> but it was a it was an interesting it's an interesting show and then going into the beetlejuice it's like also just man that one it's a fun thing like you would expect his shows to be a lot darker based on the look and the subject matter but he does have a good way of like wanting it to be light at the end which is kind of funny and a little bit backwards from what you would expect but i think that that's part of his 
his thing. Mm-hmm. And then Batman. Oh, God. Yeah. Then Batman, <laughs> Edward Scissor's hands, Edward Scissor hands. Batman returns. Ed Wood, couldn't even tell you what that is. Mars attacks. So now we're skipping right here the night before Christmas because right now these are the films that he directed. And uh-huh. despite what people think, he did not direct The Nightmare Before Christmas. So then Sleepy Hollow in 1999, Planet of the Apes, not the original, Big Fish in 2003. I remember that scene that in theaters with my friends. I did too. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Corpse Bride in 2005. So again, he's back with this. If he's going to go into animation, it will be stop motion. Sweeney Todd, uh-huh. the demon barber of Fleet Street, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, which I did see, and Frankenweenie, Big Eyes, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children in 2016. Interesting. I've never seen that one, but I am familiar and Dumbo. So up until this point, that's what he has done. Busy man. And Beetlejuice 2 is coming out. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, at this point, it's like, but is it needed? Why? <laughs> no, not I don't even see it. I haven't seen the movie, yeah. but I'm just like, no. <laughs> I liked Beetlejuice. I thought it was funny. I thought it had very quirkiness. Like, it's just a Tim Burton show. Uh, I do remember in thinking it was funny and, and enjoyable. But Beetlejuice too. I just uh, I told somebody that we would do a very small little bit comment on D23 Expo that just happened. And I think my the main comment that I can just have is just like, why so many sequels? <laughs> like a broken record. <laughs> I know. This is the Bob Chapik era. <laughs> yes. Bring on the remakes. Bring on the sequels. Bring on different ways to make money and to nickel and dime consumers. Just bring it on. It doesn't have to be good. It does not no. even have to be good. As long as it's going to bring in tons and tons of cash, we don't care. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but you know we'll find some good things in there i'm sure as the years progress so <laughs> here we go <laughs> all right so back to frank and weenie the voice cast was interesting why nona writer was elsa van helsing which which was a new character that they brought in from the original frank and weenie she wasn't there but honestly she was boring like what did she do that did anything was she the, the next door neighbor yeah with who ended up playing the dutch girl in the you know yeah, the candles on her head <laughs> that was really dumb <laughs> she had no real part to play and i didn't care about her and it was other than the fact that she felt sad that he lost his dog and she had a cute dog who ended up with a cool hairstyle in the end i have no <laughs> no connection to this person right Catherine o'hare for mrs frankenstein yeah martin short for mr frankenstein short, yeah his voice was very noticeable after a little bit. I was like, that's Martin Short. Okay. <laughs> Which you don't necessarily want to happen. No. The only other thing, I mean, I could, like, there weren't really other voice actors, you know, like big A-listers, which is fine. I don't think you need that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you had uh, Mr. Rosinski. You had the science teacher, Martin Landau, who he was good. He did a great job. And I actually did think that most of the characters all of the characters played into a Tim Burton-esque style of over the top, leaning into this kind of vibe, which I appreciated. I was like, okay, as long as everybody is having the same kind of like over the top way of speaking, then cool. All right. That's the thing. What were your thoughts about the final fight scene? I liked it. I thought that it was big. It was exciting. It evoked all of these, this imagery from other famous horror movies and properties and was pretty good all around. I I didn't think that it took away from the film. It 
it was leading there. It was foreshadowed at the beginning and mm-hmm. it kind of showed to me the humanity of, Hey, you know, just because you think you can do something and maybe you figure out how doesn't mean it should be done. And right. with bringing these creatures back, there were serious consequences that they just, they weren't the same thing animal that died you know they they, these creep you couldn't even call them your pet right you wouldn't want to be associated with them right that 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 was not your pet um so it showed the consequences of your actions and i think that was something ultimately that was taken away again from victor by he doesn't have any consequences to his actions you know even sparky himself doesn't really seem to have any issues um, he's not turning on him. He's not a different dog. He's a hundred percent sparky. He's just as lively as ever, even funnier because he's falling apart, <laughs> falling apart and springing a leak, all these things, you know? And so it was disappointing because he needed this. He needed to learn a lesson. Right. Well, and I think it goes back to like innately, we all know this is wrong. Like this is against mm-hmm, nature. It mm-hmm. goes against something inside of us that says, no, this shouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it kind of entertains it as, no, it should be a thing and we're going to make it thing. So there it's like it it just doesn't. There's something inside of of me that says, I don't like it. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You and Colin, huh? I I, I just don't like it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Like Mr. Mr. Whiskers being the true villain was just weird, too. Because what did Mr. Whiskers ever do? (laughs) Right. He just predict the future. It's (laughs) it's <laughs> he just he just happens to like to make art with his poop. OK, <laughs> it's an omen. <laughs> and then he just turns into this devil cat thing that gets stabbed through with a pitchfork. Oh, yeah. At the end, like a javel. I'm like, holy. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes no sense. Because if they're trying to say it all depends on science, science is the only thing that matters. And then but also intent is really the thing that matters. And it's like, what? <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> this is uh, I'm annoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's where I'm at. All right. So what would you rate it as an enjoyment factor and like watching it i'm gonna give it like two and a half stars all of the good things that i liked were solid um it was just the story and the fact that it was it just i didn't care and i it got halfway through right before like the climactic build up where the bad kids are coming in where i'm like i don't even care who these kids are i have no connection to them to victor they're just showing up and wanting to be hoodland kids and I had a hard time with the story building. So that's why I give it two and a half stars. But other than that, it's like it's artistic. It, all the other things they tried to do with it, I'm I'm on board with. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. So watching this 10 years later, it you know, the air has really cleared. The hype has gone And I just really had a moment to sit and watch the movie and say, hey, does this stand up? Is this worthwhile? Is this something that I should be watching every year for Halloween? And the answer simply was no. And at the very beginning of the movie, they do a good job. They're they're establishing the characters and what they want and the, the, the world and the plot. And even up until the point where he brings him back to life. I mean, that's necessary and crucial for this part. But then, like you say, once the kids get involved and then suddenly their motivations change from wanting to, you know, be number one at the science fair to I need to bring all our pets back. 
it just really goes off the rails from there. I do like the final fight scene, but mm-hmm. looking at it holistically, I'm like it totally missed the mark. It was so obvious where this movie needed to go. Uh-huh. And it either needed to have, you know, one of two things, uh, one for sure. It needed to have the ending where Sparky dies. He, it just, he had to do that. So Victor could accept and grow. And, or, and maybe we needed Sparky to also have something wrong with him. The fact that Sparky was so nearly picture perfect as far as personality, just there were no consequences to him. You know, I see I maybe initially, you know, Sparky could have been fine and he didn't realize it. But then slowly as time goes on, Sparky starts having more quirks. Maybe he bites him. Maybe he does this. Maybe there needed to be something to help him realize, wow, this maybe this wasn't a good idea. And that never mm-hmm. happened. And he just does it again and again and again. And, and the parents even. In, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Even <laughs> like you say, encourage it like. <laughs> right. Which any normal parent would be like, stop. No, this is not healthy. This is not good. You're going down a path I can't follow. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I was th- sitting there thinking, should I give this three stars? And no, it's it's because of the ending is just so terrible. It's just not even a movie worth enjoying. Uh, again, I need I need death in this. Give me death. <laughs> and I don't get that. So two and a half stars. Yeah. Don't didn't, didn't enjoy it. I, I, I honestly think I would have rated this higher 10 years ago. I probably would have had more rosy glasses on and maybe given it a three and a half or a four, to be honest. Probably. But this, yeah. is a, this is a no uh, two and a half for me. So why do you think that that time we would have been a lot more? Is this just because we have become that the the cynical critics that no. you know, don't like anything? No, because I, think, I don't think I so. I think we were so invested in it. Like, I think yeah. the hype machine really does build you up to accept the flaws and just, yes, I was looking forward to this. I was so excited and yeah, it was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, it, it was good. Or now I had like zero attachment to it and any of that. And it was like, nah, no, I didn't really enjoy it. Yeah, it's almost like. Like, remember when Frozen came out, we had hyped that thing up. Oh, goodness. And we were just kind of praying, please be good. Yeah. <laughs> because if we just spent the last six months of our lives, like building this movie up, like, no, more than that, over a year, you know, we were building this movie up and to, for it to like fall flat would have just been really sad. And I think that that's a part of maybe that's in us as far as like a we're not willing to accept a sunk cost. And so we're just trying to be like, no, it's good. We made something. Okay. (laughs) I've been standing in this line for 30 minutes and the line next to me is open, but I don't care this. I'm going to stay in this line. I'm already invested. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I also feel no need to, to jump in line with the, the current narrative of everybody seems to like this right now because it's what people are talking about because nobody's talked about this in 10 years. Right. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, eh, I I feel a lot more confident in order to just be like, nah, it wasn't for me. It does make me kind of think about the relationship between the press and the studios. You know, Uh obviously the, the studios want the press to talk about their film and to promote their film and to give them free press and whatnot. And so they want you to write articles they invite you to the press events. They want you to do this yeah. and they want, and they, there's those build up for the eventual release of the film, you know, so you've seen the behind the scenes, you've met the people behind it, the, right. the directors and the, the filmmakers. Oh, you've walked the set. Wow. How amazing. Look at all the hard work that went into this. Like right. you're so invested. And then by the time it comes for a review, that's kind of baked into the cake as much as you try not to, 
I do think it's hard to dissociate it. And so there are some Mm -hmm. outlets that they'll do press, but they won't review. And there's others that won't do the press, you know, the lead up, the promotion, but they'll do the review. And then there's others that do both. And, and kind of looking through that, I'm like, Hmm, like I kind of see that slight conflict, conflict of interest, but at the same time, like you as an outlet want to get all that material. You want those cool opportunities because your fans care about those. I think ideally, if you were to do both, you'd have one group of people or person doing all the press stuff and an entirely disjointed other person doing the review. I still don't think that that would have gone over well. Like, for example, when we were doing Frozen stuff and you had Myra, who shout out to Myra. Hey, um, (laughs) like she was the only real one on the on the team where she had a a different opinion and she posted about it. And I just remember all of the fans who had been jumping on and being like, I thought you guys were pro this. How dare you? Like they, she got a lot of backlash because of it. And it was, it was hard because you've built up a following and this is actually, I mean, this is a hard thing to do in, in a lot of uh, media too, because they have a, a thing that's called agree with the audience. You know, basically a news story comes out and if your audience has this opinion about it, regardless of the facts, they're going to continue along with this opinion in order to have. Right, like, right. Because the eyeball, the readers are eyeballs and they bring money. Right, exactly. So it's it's really difficult to go in and, and have these kind of real conversations so close to the initial outpick. All this in retrospect, when you look at anything that is online, on TV, on anything, it's like there is some a little bit of that to take into consideration when you are trying to build up your opinions, I guess, mm-hmm. on anything that happens, because there's so much conflicted interest right. <laughs> in everything, everything. Like I, I have been watching a lot of YouTube lately and a lot of these YouTubers that will come up and They'll give a shout out to a brand or something that they've that they have been hired to to promote. And that's really hard to do, like to decide, okay, if if as a quote unquote influencer, uh, you have to really only go into those types of deals on things that you legitimately have sought out for prior, I would think, because otherwise there's not much of a reason to say, yes, this person is truly unbiased. Right. Or even, you know, Instagram influencers who they've built their whole account on recommending products, whether it be clothes right. or ga- gadgets or gizmos, who's it's and what's it's galore, right. whatever it is. And for some people, you'll notice if you're a keen observer that, hey, literally everything that they are recommending, there's an affiliate link for. So they are only recommending things that are a part of an affiliate network or they are getting paid by the brand. For example, skincare. Um, There is a big brand called Tula, which is big on the influencer space. And this is kind of like our our mini nerdy couch discussion all the way at the end, (laughs) (laughs) talking about conflict of interest with studios and and uh, press and influencers. It's interesting. So, yeah, uh, Tula, all the, the influencers talk about Tula skincare and it's so great. It's changed my life. But it's. The ingredient, if you look at the actual ingredients and I purchased it and I didn't think it was that great because I am used to using medical grade skincare, which you uh-huh. can only purchase through a doctor or like a, a med spa that has a, a doctor over them, you know, mm-hmm. and then the estheticians recommend it. So it's, you can only purchase it because the MD, right. And, right. Um, and for that reason, medical grade or pharmaceutical grade 
skincare, the potency of the active ingredients can be above a certain level. Anything direct to consumer below that, like they're capped at like 2.5% for this ingredient or three for this, right? right? So you're just not getting as strong of ingredients, which means the results aren't as impactful. Like obviously they're still there for some things, but it's just funny to me because it's like, well, if you're truly a skincare aficionado, this is the only thing that you're recommending. And lo and behold, every single part of your seven step routine is all Tula products. Yeah. Kind of suspicious to me, you know, whereas I use a variety of products from a variety of brands not saying but i have no this is just me because it works for me i'm not trying to sell it i'm sure if i were slowly moving that space it's like well i can recommend this product and i do see that from time to time they're like hey no affiliate link i just really like this product and they'll you know send the link but then it's like or so i can do that and help people out or i can give them this other link and it helps me out too and it's not as good but it's good enough and and so it's just once you kind of start like I don't know. It's so hard. The whole advertising model and, you know, you have to bring in ads to support the the, yeah. the medium, you know, it's like uh, you need money to to promote the message. Mm-hmm. Everyone does ads, right? Like a lot of these studios, even Pixar started out as an advertising agency. And so many of them started doing ads um, to bring in the money so they could make the, the movies that they wanted to. But I don't know. It's just a really interesting concept to think about, you know, going back to the movies and the relationship with press and, and influencers, you know, now. Yeah, it's something to look at when you're making purchases, but also when you're just I it's just so hard because you really do have to learn to have a mind of your own. And that's hard, too, because so many people are going to be like, nope. And that was something that I really respected Myra for, because even though she knew that posting her opinion of you know, at that time when we were everything else about the website was like popping and saying go frozen and she was like actually i'm not excited about it for these reasons and she got a lot of pushback from that and to be able to stand and just say i know that i'm going to get pushback for something but this is really how i feel and this is really it's really how i've come to to have this opinion and i trust and appreciate those even though they they may differ from mine more as long as they have like actual reasons why and then I'm like, okay, I can take your word or what you say for more value <laughs> because I don't think that you're just kind of following everybody mm-hmm, else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting. Love to know your thoughts on this discussion, whether it be Frank and Weenie or the whole just ability to be influenced and to be an influencer. That whole conversation that we just had, let us know. Go to roadscopers.com slash 268. Leave us a comment there. We'd love to hear it. We have had a couple different people give us reviews on our podcast. And so we're going to shout you out. First off, we have 100144 in Australia and says, so funny, winky face, five stars. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, that's all I needed. (laughs) Winky face. (laughs) And then the next one is from Ella Basil. And she says, podcast with an exclamation point, five stars. This is a really great podcast. I always love listening. Keep up the great work. I would also love a review of Lionsgate Pinocchio. Okay, so little side note on the Pinocchio situations. Have you seen the newest Pinocchio? Okay, you know my feelings on these Disney remakes. There became I, there I came like a it. certain point. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. You and Colin, huh? I, there came a certain point where after watching a few of them, that I said, I don't like it. And I just didn't like what they were doing with it. They just seemed like such a 
total attempt at trying to capitalize on nostalgia and put out a crappier version of the product just to make money. Like simply mm-hmm. was like, it, it's a cash grab to me. And so I stopped watching them. I saw Aladdin some reason I didn't plan on seeing it, but that's like the most recent that I've seen. And, but I haven't seen the lion King. I haven't seen Dumbo. I haven't seen lady and the tramp. I legit have not seen a lot of these. The only good one at all to me is Cinderella, mm-hmm. the jungle book, the, one, book the newer good. one. It's, it's okay. Cause it, it tells something different. Mm-hmm. Anyways, long story short, I've not seen the Pinocchio one just cause again, I'm just, very much against seeing these. And so I've just put my money where my mouth is and I just don't see it. But I have heard from Rachel Wagner, one of our writers and the internet, that this is literally <laughs> the worst of all of them. Like, oh but n- we're not talking about the Lionsgate one. That's a different one, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Then I was over at my brother's house and his kids were watching it and it was just, it just started. And so you have literally the first scene of Jiminy Cricket running in and Jiminy Cricket just, and I think this is also a Lionsgate thing, too. Every time that they well, try to. No, no, there's ant- no, no, Lions. There's the Lionsgate Pinocchio, which hasn't come out yet, I believe. Oh, OK. And then there's the Disney Plus. Yeah, the Lionsgate ones comes in. The Lionsgate one comes out in November. That's Guillermo de, Tor- de Toro. Um, oh, OK. And wait. Oh, no, no. Hold on. Hold on. There's so many Pinocchios. I'm getting confused. There's the Guillermo de Toro one, which comes out later this year. There's the Disney Plus Disney remake one, which just was released on Disney Plus. And then this Lionsgate one, I'm trying to research. I'm having a hard time. I think it was released last year. Pinocchio, a true story. Yes. And that is an animated film. So Pinocchio is having a crazy resurgence right now. Yeah, it's all over that's the weird. <laughs> that's weird how that story has decided to become popular. <laughs> like right now. Or I don't know. There, there's also a, there was another one that came out not long ago that and by not long ago, I mean, with within the last 15 years. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, but there's I I've seen a couple of these where the Jiminy Cricket comes out and he he looks more like wood than anything like a, a real character, mm-hmm. like the shape and just the the built of this this cricket just is not appealing and then it goes in and you have tom hanks and he is literally just tom hanks being tom hanks with a beard and i don't like it i only got to like halfway through it they really tried to do like scene by scene of this like almost exactly i only saw the beginning section because we had to leave but that's the view of it i was just i don't want to continue down this road you're going down a road i cannot follow so uh maybe uh, we hit a certain number of patreon supporters will go and review all of these live action oh gosh monstrosities <laughs> oh man man if we could hit yes i don't know what's a number we could hit that we'd, we'd say okay we're doing it <laughs> i don't know but shout out to the patrons because you guys you guys will have to tell us do you even want that because <laughs> oi i say if we if we hit $500 in patron okay. contributions. <laughs> and I'm setting it high because we're like 100 right now, 100 plus. Because, I mean, this has to really show we want you to review all of these films. And I'm telling you, we would do all of them. We would start from the very beginning. We'd do the 1995 um, Jungle Book. 
And anything that was a animated movie that, that was remade, we would do. It'd be like half a year's worth of content. All of our animation addicts episodes would just be these for the next period of time. <laughs> so like $500, rotoscopers.com slash patron. You could be a $5 patron, $10, whatever you want. Let us know. Um, so that's, that's all I got to say. <laughs> I will do it for that. But that is their interest. Do people really want that? I don't know. But um, that'd be a lot of negative. That'd be me not so happy for about six months on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's also another thing is, is if we get to that point in time, you guys want us to do something completely different. We will do whatever the patrons ask. Yes. So once we hit that $500, we'll repoll to, to the existing patrons and say, just double check. You still want <laughs> this or something else? Happy to do whatever you want. So there we go. That's my that is my proposal to the world. She can be bought. <laughs> Speaking of conflict of interest, I mean, this is going against my interest. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, everybody. Once again, go to the notes page on the website if you want any more information on this. This is episode 268. So you do rotoscopers.com slash 268. Until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. They were supposed to kill off. Um, what's the dog's name? Not Copper. <laughs> the old one. Uh, yeah. Chief. They were supposed to do Chief. There you go. These like. Can you hear my dog? A little bit. Yeah. She's dreaming. <laughs> uh, my dog does that too. <laughs> um, so. Uh, where was I? Mayor, 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 and mayor. That's a weird word to say with headphones on because <laughs> you can't really hear what you're saying. Like, anyway, um, you've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews.